evening, we're continuing our series on the Talmud. It's probably uh, number 20, 21 by now. And uh, last time, if you remember, we spoke a lot about one page in uh, Masechet Megillah, speaking about a person who puts, who puts his efforts a person that puts efforts to learn Torah, he can ne- for sure, if he puts 100% efforts, for sure he will be successful. If a person came to you and said, I put all my efforts and nothing came out of me, I didn't become a chacham, a, 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 you know, a rabbi or a, a, a scholar with knowledge, don't believe him because he cannot be. Why? Because, because we explained that learning Torah is not like learning history or math or anything else, which is, depends how many hours you learn. Over here it's like a snowball. The more you show that you're serious, the more assistance God's giving you. That's where we ended up last week. And today, since we're continuing, we're still in Masachet Megillah, we have something very interesting to talk about. The Gemara says, that uh, in the time of Bet HaMikdash, there used to be the Kohanim, what we, in English, I saw the translation to the word Kohen, it's a high priest, someone who serves God in a temple, in a temple in Jerusalem. So, I don't know, I don't like this word so much, high priest, but the Kohen, the Kohanim is working in their, serving Hashem in their job, whatever they have to do, which means taking care of the sacrifices, the slaughtering, so the altar, all the special ceremonies of Bet HaMikdash. Then we have the Levim, the Levites, which is basically the choirs, and also, you know, they have some jobs in Bet HaMikdash. And then we have Israel, the people of the nation of Israel. So this is three different groups of the Jewish nation. Once comes the time of Purim, and now it's the night that they have to read Megillah. They have to read the Megillah, Megillah Tester. Is it permitted? to stop what they're doing in Bet HaMikdash and come hear the Megillah, or since they serve in Bet HaMikdash, it's a very important mitzvah, and the mitzvah of the Megillah is not as important, so maybe they continue to serve, what they do is more emergency. The Gemara answer, no. Everybody pause what they do, and they come for half an hour, and they hear the Megillah, because it's a very important mitzvah. Why? That's publishing the miracle that Hashem did to the nation, the Jewish nation, which Haman was planning to destroy them, and in the last minute it turned to a good thing, and we have a holiday of Purim thanks to it. So obviously there's no permission to cancel the hearing of the Megillah. How did they learn it? How did they know? You cannot just assume things. You have to bring a proof. So they do, they, it's called Kalvachomer. Kalvachomer, it's a special learning that repeats in the Torah constantly. It's called needless to say. If a person that uh, stole a hundred dollars got five years in prison, a person that stole a thousand dollars definitely will get at least five, thousand, five years in prison, right? He stole ten times more, or more, but not less. For that, you don't need somebody to tell you. This you can, you can learn from needless to say. This, remember this expression. It's called kal vachomer. Kal means light, chomer means stricter, more strict. Okay, so how do they learn kal vachomer? How do they learn kal vachomer? So the kal vachomer that they learn is like this. Ma'avodashi chamura, the servants of Bet HaMikdash, the services, 
מבטלים תלמוד תורה, לא כל שכן, you know, so it says, if, you know, it says, it says like this, if the עבודה, that it's such an important thing, you canceling תלמוד תורה for it, right? לא כל שכן, זו so עבודה חמורה מתלמוד תורה, that עבודה, it's stricter than learning תורה. We, when we are, when we learn in yeshiva, what happens when the times of reading Megillah comes? We close the Gemara, close the books, and hear the Megillah, and then go back to the Torah. So if the Torah, it's, it's, it's so important, right? We, we cancel for half an hour just to hear this mitzvah of Megillah, the Avodah is needless to say. Now the Gemara disagree with that. It's back and forth. Let's see, it's an investigation now. Ve'achtiv, we learn in Joshua 5, we learn in the book of Yoshua, that when Yoshua was in Jericho, in Jericho, and they were preparing for the war, he looked up and he saw an angel. Remember, Yoshua 5. He saw an image of an angel standing in front of him with a sword. He's about to hurt him. ויילך יהושע, יהושע, he started to talk to him, ויילך יהושע אליו, ויאמר, it says, in the beginning he didn't know it's an angel, he thought it's a person, because he comes in an image, the angels come in images that they choose. So he says to him, no, 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 I'm not a person, I am שר צבא השם, I am a minister of the angels of God, the army of God, which is the angels, and I came now. When Yoshua realized that he's not a human being, he's an angel, he fell down on his face and he bowed down to him. He's an angel. How did you hear about it? Oh, oh, oh. So the asked, how did he do such a thing? How did, before, the Gemara doesn't even ask about bowing down. The Gemara asks about a different thing. The Gemara asks, if a per, in the old days there was a law, we don't, this law doesn't apply to our days today. But in the old days, at night, it was a special time. Nobody walked in the streets at night. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, remember, there was no electric, no lights, trees, forests, the trees, the streets are empty. Now one person walking, you cannot see anything, complete darkness. So everyone was in their homes. If you see somebody walks, it's probably a demon. The demon, it's dangerous. Why? Because if you remember in the lecture that I spoke about the six different kinds of demons, I explained that the demons like to come to a place that people are not there. Because after all, demons are afraid of people. If people put fire or lights, or there are more than one person, then they, you know, they're, they're afraid. But if a person is alone, they're not afraid. This is the, this is the rule. So... Uh, it says, we have a rule that if you see an individual in the middle of the night, you don't speak to him. You don't say, how are you? Maybe he's a demon. Now, what's the problem if he's a demon? Shed is a demon. The Gemara says, you know, it's not, it's, here it's different in this case. Why? Because he already told him, I am an angel and I'm a minister of the army of God, which means I'm in charge of all the angels. The Gemara say, maybe it's a demon that lies to him. After all, demons are lying. Demons, you know, demons is not a positive thing. 
Gemara says, yes, even if they lie, since demons are spiritual, they don't have permission to say the name of God for no reason. Since he mentioned the name of God, he said, I'm the minister of the, of, of the army of the angels of Hashem, but he said the real name of God, right? That's one of the Ten Commandments. To violate, to say the name of God for no reasons, it's a very serious, it's the third commandment. Demons will not do such a thing. So that's how Yoshua knew that he can talk to him. Okay, no. No. All right, now, that's not what I wanted you to understand. What I really want you to understand is from now on. Pay attention. It says, Yesterday, you canceled the sacrifice of the evening. And today, you didn't learn Torah as usual. You stopped learning Torah earlier than always. Which means you are losing an hour, two hours, I don't know exactly how much, but if you're supposed to finish an X amount of time of learning Torah, today you did not do it. So Yoshua asked him, you're right. For which one of the two you came? Which one of the two problems God sent you to? Because we didn't sacrifice the evening sacrifice, or because we didn't learn enough Torah today? So he told him, I came, I came for the one that you did right now. What's the one you did right now? What? He told him, yesterday you canceled the sacrifice. Today you did not learn Torah. So I came today for the sin that you made today, which means learning Torah. What are we learning from here? Yesterday, when they made the sin of not sacrificing, every day there is a sacrifice. Every day, you cannot cancel it. Yesterday they did not sacrifice it, the angel did not bother to come. Today they didn't learn enough Torah, he comes with a sword, supposedly with an angry image, complaining about the learning of the Torah. So from here, listen how complicated the Torah can get, and how beautiful. That's how they learn from here. If, if for the learning of Torah, we close the books and go to hear Megillah, Torah it's more serious than the sacrifices in Bet HaMikdash. It's a higher level, learning Torah. So for the Torah we're canceling, definitely we can cancel the service on Bet HaMikdash for half an hour, not cancel, pause for half an hour. That's how the learning. It says like this. Amar Rav Shmuel Berabi Unia. Rav Shmuel, son of Rav Unia, he says like this. Gadol Talmud Torah Yoter Me'akravat Midin. From here we learn that the, the learning of Torah is greater than the, the everyday routine sacrifices. Shene'emar Atabati. I came now for this. You know, and this is it. Now, we continue. It says like this. If you remember also last week, we spoke about Yaakov and Esav, that Yaakov begged Hashem not to let Germany of Edom to be successful, and there are 300 tribes in Germany of Edom. This is another thing that we did last time. Now, the Gemara speaks about something else. This is very important. We're still in Masechet Megillah. Israel, Ochlim Veshotim, when the nation of Israel... Now remember, please do not compare what the Gemara is speaking about to the nation of Israel today. Because unfortunately today, 70% of the Jews have no idea what they live for. Not only they don't know what religion is, if you ask them what are you living for, they have no idea. They think to enjoy, you know, to work, 
to go on vacation, to dress nice, to eat, to enjoy the moment, eh, sports, drugs, everyone with his dream. Nobody really knows what he lives for. Nobody can write you the right answer, what's my purpose? Nobody knows. Not to talk about religion, that most of those Jews, they don't even read Hebrew. They don't understand Hebrew. And even in English or any other language, most of them never learn one hour Torah in their life. Most of them. And even those who are in Israel, they learn a little bit Torah. But the way they teach Torah in the secular schools in, 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 in Israel makes more damage than not learning at all. You understand? Because the kids, the little kids, what you teach them when they're young, they grow up with that. That's become their foundation. For them, the stories of the Torah, they learn it like they learn a novel, some kind of Shakespeare or something. They don't understand that this is the foundation of the world, of the Jewish nation, the Torah, the afterlife. They don't have an idea. They don't teach in school something that will, God forbid, make you religious. So don't compare what the Gemara say ever to what we see today. Because this is, remember, this was written 2,000 years ago when to find one not religious Jew was an almost an impossible mission. Could not find a person without a yarmulke on the street in those days. Even the people who made scenes, they made them in such a way that it wasn't, it wasn't obvious to the, to the streets that he walks without a kippah or smoke on, on the Sabbath or things like this. It was, you know... Even inclination issues in hidden rooms, and it's not the same like today. Today, people have no shame. They do they make scenes on the street. They marry non-Jews. They even invite their friends to the wedding. Nobody is embarrassed anymore for those scenes. But this is what the Gemara say. Listen, good. The Gemara say, what's the difference between Israel and the Goim and the Gentiles? When the nation of Israel eat and drink, they start their meal with words of Torah. And praising God, and the goyim, when they eat and drink, they speak about high and da, all kinds of nonsense. They didn't join in a meal to speaking words of Torah, right? Same thing, how do we learn it from the Torah? When Achashverosh made a meal, the king of Persia, about 2400 years ago. What did they speak about in their meal? They said, Madiot beautiful. The women from Madai are gorgeous. The other one said, no, the Persians are more gorgeous. They are, they are arguing, the king and his advisors, and all the important people in the party of Ahasuerus, the king of 127 countries, who is prettier? Just like today, the secular people, this model, that Miss Beauty, that contest, same garbage, same nonsense, no difference. <laughs> Those are more beautiful. Those are more beautiful. The Hashverosh say, the one that I have, it's not from Madai and not from Persia. It's Kasdi. It's another nation, Kasdim. You want to see her? Who is he talking about? His wife before Esther, Vashti. Vashti the queen. Vashti was the queen. She is Kasdim. Kasdim. You want to see her? I believe Kasdim today is around the area of Syria, Ur Kasdim. No, no, over there it's uh, yeah, somewhere in the Middle East, let's put it that way. So it says, uh, no, over there it's Aram Tzova. Aram, no, Aram it's Syria, Ur Kasdim, Kasdim maybe, ah, I don't know, I'm not sure, I have to check in an old ancient map 
where exactly is Kasdim. But it's a different nation, not Persia and not Madai. It's a you want to see her, they say, of course. It's there, but only if you bring her naked. They tell him to bring his wife. And they're all drinking, you know. They're all, uh, you know, the smoishmo. All right, it says, why all of a sudden Hashem allowed such a thing to happen that he, he sent a messenger to his wife, the queen, to invite her to come naked in front of all his friends. Why did such a thing to her? A person doesn't get a punishment unless he deserves it. What was her sin? All the punishments of God is measure for measure, right? Okay, let's see. Bederech she'adam modeed, modedim lo. The way you behave, that's what Hashem sends you. He's teaching us that Vashti was a very wicked queen. She used to bring modest, righteous Jewish girls and force them to get undress and work on Shabbat for her. And obviously, you don't do it, you die. You don't have a choice there. They control the whole world. That's a pasuk in the Megillah. That Hashem remembered all the sins that she did. And the decree that Hashem sent to her. What she did, that was her punishment, measure for measure. Then the Megillah says, She refused to come. So the Gemara says, you know, that she refused to come. And uh, why she refused to come? Is she a modest girl all of a sudden? She wasn't modest. So why did she care to, to come, to show up her beauty? What's the problem? The Gemara says, She had leprosy at that time. She had like a skin rash. She didn't want to show her body in such a situation. Now everyone is drunk, everyone is in a mood. The king Ahasuerus got very angry. And he said to, the, to his advisors, it says, what should we do to, the, to her? Now they're all afraid. What are they going to say? They're going to say, kill her tomorrow when he's going to be not drunk. He's going to take revenge against them. Let her go. It's also a problem. So they told him, ask the Chachamim Yodea Itim. Et in Hebrew means man, time, time. Ask the Chachamim, ask the scholars who know how to calculate time. Remember, in those days there was no calendar. It was based on the renewal of the moon. As the Gemara in the Masechet Brachot, page Lamed Bet, the Gemara speaks about the renewal of the moon. No, actually over there they speaking about the stars. Uh, so the Gemara speaks here about, uh, in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, there's a story with Rabban Gamliel that's speaking about 200 witnesses who came to testify that right now it's the renewal of the moon, and they begin the new cycle of the Jewish month. Based on that, they know how to calculate when the holidays are. It's one by month, manually. So guess what? So, they come, so now they come to ask the rabbi. That reminds me of a beautiful story. One Goy king, his, he told his wife, why are you going to swim in a lake that it's right by the public road? What kind of queen you are that everybody who passed with a horse, remember there was no cars in those days, 
Everyone who walks on his donkey or camel or horse right by the leg have to see my wife, the queen of the country, is, is, is swimming inside the lake or, or taking a shower, whatever it is. I do not allow you ever to come to this water. The next time you walk into the water, I'll divorce you and you lose all your rights. No, the queen, after a few days, she went there again. Now he has a problem. His advisor told him, hey, you made a vow. You have to keep your word. You're the king. You cannot do whatever you want. If you show that you're not reliable, nobody, nobody will listen to your orders. You got to get rid of her. <laughs> but he loves her. It's a problem, no? So he doesn't know what to do. So he said, let me ask the rabbi, what the rabbi of the town think. So the rabbi said, you don't have to divorce her, even though you made a vow, and a person must keep his vows. You don't have to divorce her. So he said to him, why, why? He said, you told her, I don't want you to swim in this water, right? She, he said, yes. He said, but the waters are running water. It's a special lake that the, the water is always running. A week ago, the water that you spoke about are not here anymore. That's completely different water. So the vow go on water that are not there. They moved into the ocean already. So he started to kiss the rabbi. Rabbi, thank you very much. Years later, he, made, he got angry again. And uh, his wife was eating a pomegranate. A pomegranate. He got angry at her, something he said to her, he said to her, so he said to her, to her, if you don't stop, by the time I finish eating the pomegranate, then I'll divorce you. So she didn't stop, you know, she does it on purpose. Now he, now he made a vow, he has to, uh, so again everyone say, hey, what are you going to say now? now? Last time the rabbi found you way out, what are you going to do now? He said, let me run to the rabbi, <laughs> to the rabbi. The rabbi told him, don't worry, you don't have to divorce her. He said, do, what do you mean? I finished the pomegranate. He said, no, you didn't. He said, yes, I did. He said, come, let's go to your home. They went to the palace. The rabbi went under the table, and he found two pieces of pomegranates on the floor. See, you see? You didn't finish completely. And he said, now you can stay with her. So he took him to be his personal advisor. And all the Jews, for 40 years, they had peace and happiness, and good living, thanks to the wisdom of this Chacham, you know? And of course, all the advisors were going out of their mind from their jealousy that now the Jew is on top of all of them, you know, he's the main advisor. No. Anyway, so the, the story here, the, the rabbis, now he has to ask the rabbis what to do with Vashti. So the rabbis now have a dilemma. If we tell him to kill her, ooh, Tell him not to kill her, it's also a problem. Tomorrow when he gets out of his chamra, out of his wine, and Dachirle is going to remember what happened, he's going to call us to blame us. So, he said, so they told him, from the day our temple was destroyed, remember, this is between the first destruction to the second destruction, in between. So they're talking about the first temple that King Solomon built. So now, this is the time that they don't have the Bet HaMikdash. We have to say that this is within the seven years. Seven years. There was only seven years gap between one temple to another. And at that time, it was this, their kingdom. So it says, 
from the day our temple got destroyed, we lost our vision. We cannot answer complicated questions like this. And we do not know how to judge life and death. Because we used to do it, if you know history, only when the temple was there. We see the Sanhedrin, 71 scholars, they sit inside, and we know to death or to life. Now, since we don't have it, God took it away from us. This is a part of our punishment. Go to Ammon and Moab. <laughs> Go to the Chachamim of the nation of Ammon and to the nation of Moab and ask them what to do. That's how they got away with him. Baruch Hashem. The Gemara says, It says, the Gemara says, what does it mean in the evening she comes and in the morning she returns? It means she spends the night with him. Now he has many wives. Every night he has this special stick like the king's and he decides, the one who he reaches his arm to her, you're going to spend the night with me. This wife, that wife. So Amar Rabbi Yochanan, speaking about him that is like an animal, Every night he has to spend the night with another woman, much like an animal. But from that, we also praised him. What's praising him? That he only spent time with his wife in bed at night. Because during the day it's not modest. Now remember, you know, the Gemara said that when a person is together, even when he's his own wife, not good to, to be together during the day. Only at night. And even if he's forced for whatever reason in a day because he's going away or he came from far away and he has to leave again, whatever the case may be, they have to dark the room. And there's reasons for that. I, don't know, I spoke about it in one of the, in the previous lectures. But the idea is that even this guy that drunk and do whatever he does, he did not call them ever during the day, only at night. You know? So he had some kind of modesty in him. Amar Rava, Rava say, in a, from, after Hashem created the world, you know, that there's a rule that Hashem made in the world, that is always before He brings a decree, first He creates the medicine for that decree, the solution, the salvation. Which means, if Hashem is about to take money from an individual that worked 10 years and saved that money, and now somebody will rob him, and he would left with nothing, right away you already put the mission on a person that as soon as that happened, that person will come and comfort the person and find him a new job and help him out and give him a loan and everything looks like coincidence but it's all a part of the plan. We say it every day, by the way, in the morning prayer. What are we saying? Baruch gozer umkayem. Baruch, bless you the one who brings the decrees and keeping us alive with, with the strength to, to, to overcome those decrees. Baruch gozer umkayem. Sometimes people come and say to me, why, why God did this to me? Why I lost so much money? Why I lost so much money? So I always answer, you know, yeah, you forget that before you lost the money, God gave you that money. And now he took what he gave you. Now why do you think he gave you the money? Only for the time that he's going to come and take it away from you and test you in emunah, in faith. If that wasn't your test, you never had that money to begin with. What do you think they gave you the money? To eat burgers every day? 
to buy new suit every week, uh, to upgrade your car every two weeks. He gave you this money for a reason. Here, now you found out what was the reason. Assuming you're not a thief or a criminal and you're cheating people, so this money wasn't yours to begin with, and now we understand why you lost it. I'm talking about a clean person. He, he worked very hard, he earned his own money, he's not a thief, he's not charging interest, he's not deceiving anyone, you know, he doesn't, doesn't work on holidays or on Shabbat. We're talking clean person. He sells a clean product, everything is fine. Hashem take it away, now your life begins. Until now, everything was comfortable. Now you have to live with miracles. Let's see how you handle your new situation. It's many, many times it happens. He, he raised you rich, and then one day he throw you alone, and now you have to depend on him, not on your money. By the way, people who have this kind of test, I promise you, talk to them two years after they lost all their money, and tell them to write on a piece of paper how many small miracles Hashem did to them every week. And they will go back and say, you know, technically from the time I lost all my money, naturally my chance was one to a million or to a billion that I can get back on my feet. And the day that I lost all my money, I almost shot myself in the head. I really was very close to do it. Today, two years later, I have a job, I'm making a living, I paid almost all the money I owe. Somehow I still survive, my kids still learning, and they don't, understand, they don't know how to explain. A miracle here, a miracle there, all of a sudden the government sent them a refund, a, a brother-in-law, somebody offered them a new job, they're making more, oh, who knows, nobody knows. Nobody understands how, somehow they survive. Those who did not have patience to see the salvation of God, they killed themselves. What happened? They come to the court of heaven, they are guilty now of being a murderer, because you're not allowed to kill yourself. And plus, it was unnecessary. All they had to do is to pass the test a year or two or five, whatever Hashem wanted them to test them. And then sometimes He gives them back much, much more. They say about a very wealthy family that used to give a lot of money for tzedakah. Their, their real estate empire collapsed almost completely. And now somebody told me a week ago that now they went back up much better than before. Much, much better. But now they're doing it very quietly, all that tzedakot. Because they realize we were the number one family in the world of giving tzedakah donations. Too much evil eye on us, too much attention to us. We got too much respect for people because we're sponsoring all the yeshivot and all kinds of congregations. Now we will do it under the, under the ground. Nobody has to know what we give, who we give. We realize that it's better that it will be anonymously and quietly. No, that's uh, another part of the test. Right, so we continue. So Hashem brings the medicine before the decree comes. And Amar Rish Lakish, Rabbi Shimon Ber Lakish said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu never hit the nation of Israel unless if he prepared the salvation first. Right? But with the Goim, first HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives them the decree, and from the moment then, then he begins to help them after. But the salvation will be created for them after. You may ask me, what's the difference? Who cares if the salvation was ready an hour before you lost all your money or you became sick, God forbid? Or if it came an hour after? After all, the idea is that you get out of your miserable situation, no? So you may have a good point. 
But still, we are talking about the way of Hashem, the way Hashem conducts His world. And this is how it goes. Amar Aman Lachashverosh. Hashem said to Achashverosh, it doesn't worth it for you, the king, to keep those Jews alive. Why? Besides that they dressed strange, they have a different language, different religion, different, different, different. They're different in with everything. They're not like us. They're, they're, they're strange people. It wasn't, the anti-Semite didn't start saying it this, in this generation. This is, like I say, almost 2,500 years ago. But now he comes with a story. He says, look at these Jews. If you have a fly that falls into their drink, he takes the fly out, he throws it out, and he still drinks the, the, what they left over. But if you, the king, will touch their wine, they'll spill it to the garbage. Go test. He knew the halacha, that if a guy moves the wine, that's become yain esech. You're not allowed to drink it. It becomes impure. So they say, look at this. You go to the rabbi, throw a fly into his glass of wine, he throws the, the, the fly and he drinks the wine. Because wine was expensive in those days, it was all handmade. But if you move the wine, well, dump it to the garbage. So that means you, the king of the world, 127 countries, are dirtier in the eyes of the Jews than a fly. Oh, wow. what an insult. That's how he got him to agree. Because wasn't as bad as him, but with his influence, and he told them, on top of that, if you agree with my plan to destroy them, I'm giving you a seret alafim kikar kesef. 10,000 pieces of silver. Kikar kesef. You know, the onks, what do you call it? Unkiot? How do you call it in English? Those pieces that they sell in gold. You know, big pieces. Pieces of pure silver. 10,000. Fortune. Fortune. A man, by the way, you should know that was richer than the king. If the king received tax from 127 countries, most of the money doesn't come to his pocket. They have to make roads, they have to pay the army, soldiers, houses, maintenance, security, all the things. You know? So some of the money comes to his pocket. And Haman was a very, very rich man, very rich man. And he. Never heard of that. You want to say was a Bukharian or something? Or <laughs> I have to check if he was a barber. I don't think that from being a barber you become richer than the king of 127 countries. Huh? All right. Anyway, let's continue. The Gemara says, when, Amman, when Achashverosh removed his, removed his ring and gave it to Amman, this was such an event that is greater greater than 48 prophets, male prophets, that the Jewish nation had, and seven female prophets that the Jewish nation had, which means it's 55 prophets. Right? Why? Because the 48 Jewish prophets and the seven Jewish lady prophets, with all the words of ethics, and the prophecies and the warnings that they gave to the Jewish nation, Haman did 
worse, more better than all of them combined. Which means 48 prophets came to warn the Jews to make repentance, to stop making sins. Hashem is angry, Hashem is upset, you're not following the Torah, whatever. And after all, some of them corrected their ways and some did not. Once a man said, I'm destroying all the Jews, kids, olders, women, women, men, doesn't matter. I only want one Jew in the world and I have the ring of the king that he gave it to me with the ring was a stamp. The stamp of the king. I can do whatever I want. I can write ladies, I can stamp it. You know what it is to give your, one of your advisors the ring and tell him do whatever you want? Where do you hear such a thing? Take any president in the world, even the best man that helps him in everything, in all his secrets, he will never give him his stamp to do whatever he wants. It's, uh, it's not so simple. Maybe they will, but they really have to trust you 101% to give you the ring and you can do anything you want. You can make new laws, you can... You can genocide. You can do a genocide with this ring. Nobody can make a beep. You stamp, and especially they have a rule. Whatever you stamp, put the stamp, that's it. You cannot ever cancel that rule. Very interesting. Since the Jews thought that their end is coming, all of them made repentance. They fast, they stand in the middle of Shushan, screaming to God, and everything was reversed. But you see that one bad decree, that's the, that's the answer to all these people who say, don't teach Torah with fear. Only love, love. Forty-eight prophets came and spoke in the name of God, barely helped. Come one, go and say, I'm killing all of you. Everybody became fanatic, extremely religious. What do you see? That's the, that's the language people understand. That's the only language they understand. Speak to your kid. Talk to him. Don't put your finger inside the outlet. It's a life risk. Five, ten times, he keeps doing it. He's smiling, laughing. Give him one little patch. End of story. You know, oh, next time I push my finger there, boom, a patch comes. I don't want patches. That's the only way. We are worse than these little kids. Because the only way we understand is when Hashem takes away our parnassah. We have a job, we lose our job. Oh, the next day become religious. All of a sudden he remembers this Tehillim. He remembers that in Shabbat he's not so strict. He's remembering that he's talking too much Lashonara. He begins to call his friends and ask for forgiveness. The more he's without a job, the more religious he becomes. Right? The more desperate you are, the more you depend on God. That's the way it is. That's it. That's why in Israel, when someone becomes religious, the first question everybody asks him always, everywhere, anytime. What happened? Somebody died? What? You sick? They have about four or five questions that they always ask. And then they breathe. Ah, what a relief. I was sure something happened. Well, who became religious? Someone that Hashem crushed him. Oh, so now he became religious. Yeah, that makes sense. Ah, but we're alive, we breathe, we make money, we don't have time for Hashem. That's the, the motto. That's the way they think. To show you that this is the nature of people. Ungratefulness more than we can imagine. The Gemara continue. Four beautiful ladies were in the world. What do you mean four? I can show you right now four million. What do you mean four? All these four millions or 40 million or whatever it is are like monkeys compared to those four ladies. 
Those four ladies are extremely exceptional, which means, you're going to see, who are they? Sarah. Sarah, whoever looked at her fainted from her beauty. Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Rachav, that Rachav, the prostitute, that she later converted. Rachav, Rachav, she married Yoshua Benun. Rachav, I spoke to her about it in the previous lecture, I believe. Avigail and Esther. There are different versions to this. There's another version that says, no, Avigail and Esther, it's questionable, that we, they're talking about Chava, Hashem created Chava. This is Hashem directs, directs, direct art. He made her. She wasn't born from a mother. So she's more perfect than perfect. And who was the fourth one? Eshet Potiphar, the wife of Potiphar that seduced Yosef when he was 17 years old and he arrived to her house as a servant after he was sold by his brother and he arrived to Egypt. She, she was changing her clothes, we're looking at her, it was a breathtaking image. That, you know, it's a miracle how Yosef was able not to touch her. And that's why Hashem called him a tzaddik, because the test was extremely difficult. Sha'alut al-midav et rabbi zakai. It says like this, Rabbi, what made you live such long life? He says, I never, I never went to the bathroom where, I'm, where I pray, in a place that I pray, which means I respected it very much. I never called a derogatory name to any one of my friends. I never called people nicknames, names that they don't like, jokes. I never joked at anyone. I never ever missed Kiddush Hayom. I don't know what he's talking about, Kiddushah of the Tefillah, because Kiddush Hayom is only on Shabbat or in Yom Tov. Either way, it's Kiddush. And I had, I had an old mother, and one time, one time I didn't have Kiddush, oh, so he's speaking about wine. Okay, so he, he, he always made Kiddush. Now you, you say, I also make Kiddush all the time. I never miss Kiddush. Today it's no problem, you pay four dollars, you have wine for ten times Kiddush. And the old days you needed to get grapes and make wine and make... Sh and you always have to do it again because it gets spoiled. There's no refrigerator. You have to try to get yourself two thousand years back in history. So they always did it and they had to do it probably on that Friday. They go to get some grapes, to, to squeeze grapes, to make, or to make wine, preparing for Shabbat. It wasn't so, so simple. He never missed Kiddush. One time he didn't have wine for Kiddush. And she went to sell her hat. She had a hat. She sold her hat and bought me wine for Kiddush. When she died, she left me 300 bags, special bags of wine. Thanks to that, Hashem made her rich, this woman, that she sold her own hat. She had one nice hat. She sold it to get wine to her son that he will never miss Kiddush in his life. So he said, thanks to that, when she died, she left me 300 bags, special bags, garbei yain, full of wine. When he died, the Gemara say, now he, he was talking until now. Now the Gemara say, what happened when he died? 
He left his children 3,000 bags of wine. You know, 10 times more than Herod. No, very interesting. Then we continue. This is a very important law. Many times you hear beautiful words of Torah, and you come and say it to others, and you don't say who you learned it from. And the people give you respect that you don't deserve. You steal the credit. Imagine somebody, your friend, made a song in a dorm. He's your roommate. You heard him making a song. You recorded him without him knowing. Next day you went to your friends and you say, look what a song I made. And you play the song and everyone clap. Next thing you're on the radio. It happens in the showbiz. Many people steal music one from another. So obviously you deserve residual income on the song every time they play it on the radio. There's all kinds of lawsuits. That music is music, no, no big deal. But here it's Torah. Torah, it's eternal. So a person has always to say, I heard from that person, I heard from that rabbi. Now, I don't want you to get confused. If you say, Bereshit barai lokim et ha-shamayim the first verse in the Torah, I just said it. And tomorrow you go and tell your wife, you know what's the first verse in the Torah? Bereshit barai lokim. You don't have to say, I heard from Rabbi Mizrahi, Bereshit barai lokim et Every fool knows it. We're not talking about this. We're talking something that it was not easy to know. Chidush, some Gemara, some kind of a comparison, you know, all kinds of things. Something that you knew that without that specific person, probably you will never hear it in your life, or the next time you hear it, maybe it will be in 10 years old. Something like this, you're not allowed to steal, the, steal it to yourself and claim that you made it. You have to say, now if you don't remember, it's one thing. You say, I heard it from somebody, I forgot his name, that's fine. But the worst thing is to pretend that it's yours. And you have to be very careful. Someone who gives credit to others brings salvation to the world. Where do we see it? Esther, chapter 2. Esther came to speak to the king of Hashverosh, and she caught everything I say. It's in the name of Mordechai. That's what Mordechai said. And I just repeat what he said. She didn't take credit for herself. אמר רבי חנינה, עתיד הקדוש ברוך הוא להיות עטרה בראש כל צדיק וצדיק. In a time when the world will be over and all the righteous people will go to where they deserve to go, Hashem will make a crown to every one of these righteous people. I don't know what it means, it's all spiritual terms, but for sure it's something great. For sure. Hashem will make a crown to every righteous person. We're not talking a gold or diamond crowns. We don't need it over there. Some kind of a spiritual crown. And who? To who? To someone who judged himself and depressed his evil inclination. And when he was judging, he was always judging fairly. Judging doesn't mean you have to be a judge in court. You judge your wife, you judge your friend, you judge your brother, you judge your student, you judge your partner. You can judge him and give him the benefits of the doubt when you're not sure, or you can always go to the strict side and blame the whole world, right? The way you judge them, this is how God judge you. Gvura means mitgaber alitzro, overcome his desires. Meshive milchama, 
those who those who gave their life to answer all the questions against the Torah and Shara means Talmidei Chachamim, smart scholars that wake up early every morning and go to learn Torah and to the synagogue and come back late at night. People who basically dedicated their life to the truth. Amar Rav Yosef, Gadol Talmud Torah Yoter Matzalat Nefashot. If there are two people, one saving life, Hatzala guy, every day save a life of a person, or three or four or ten, doesn't matter. And one person sit in yeshiva and learn all day Gemara. Who is bigger mitzvah? Who has bigger mitzvah? The one who goes and save lives or the one who sits and learn Torah? Everyone you will ask, they'll tell you the one who saves lives. Beloni. Someone who sits and learn Torah saves more lives. And learn Torah. It's a double mitzvah. Because by learning Torah you make the whole world a better place. You make the world going, less tragedies, less sicknesses. That's why we have so much problems today. Because even those who learn, not always does it purely or with devotion. They learn, maybe they get some money to the yeshiva. Anyway, they were unemployed, so they come to learn. They learn because they want to find a shiduch. Why do you think they went to yeshiva? Many guys became 18 years old, they go to Lakewood. 5,000 people in Lakewood. I can put my life on the line that not all 5,000 people who sit and learn there went there because they were interested to learn Torah. No. Some went because they loved the Torah and they want a good place to learn. And some went there because they knew that's the only way to get a good shiduch. Otherwise, there's no other way. If you be a bum on the street or you go to work in your father's business when you're 18 years old, when the time comes and you're 22, 23, right? and you are looking for, for shiduch, your shiduch won't be anything near someone who knew, they knew that you're learning for the last four or five years, or in a, such a good yeshiva, right? So people understand it. It's also something to brag about. Don't, don't get me wrong. Even a person who goes to yeshiva not for the sake of heaven, he still get a huge reward from sitting every day and learning Torah. But still, you cannot compare him to someone who went to the, to the yeshiva, even if he knew, hypothetically speaking, that he will never get married, he would still do it. Because he did it for the Torah, not for his own personal advantages or benefits, etc., etc. So, Gadol Talmud Torah Yoter Me'atzalat Nefashot. I once said, an example, two people sit and learn, one is facing the street, one is facing the inside of the yeshiva. The one who faced the street saw somebody drowning in a lake. He had to close the Gemara and run and save his life. He gets the reward for saving a life of a person, which is a very big mitzvah. But he should know later that there was a punishment, not a reward. Why? Leaving a million dollars to run make $10,000, it's not a benefit. You get it or no? If you have nothing and somebody offers you a $10,000 job, very good, great reward. But if you were busy making a million this month and somebody took away the, the job with a million and offered you a job for 10,000, everybody who hear that you just made $10,000 this month will be very impressed. Oh, what a lucky guy. No, you fool. For me, it's a loss. I was making a million, now I, I made 10,000. Same thing with the lake. I was busy, every ladder is a huge mitzvah. Now I had to close the Gemara for 20 minutes until I got the person out. I had to swim. I had to go change my clothes. 
By the time I came back to the book, I already lost 20 minutes. Every minute is uh, 200 words, five letters in the average word. Every minute is 1,000 mitzvot. Multiply by 20, 20,000 mitzvot I lost to make one. But nobody thinks that way, right? Because people don't have an idea about the real value of learning Torah. How do I know that nobody has this idea? If people would know the value of the Torah, you wouldn't find one businessman in the world. I promise you, even the Goim would sit and learn all day. But nobody understand. Nobody cherished the Torah. Nobody cherished the Torah. Same thing today. When people make fancy parties, they don't care to invite people who learn Torah. They want to invite business people. People that make a show off. Technically, it would be better that one guy from the yeshiva would come to their wedding alone better than a thousand business people. It's comparing mitzvot of this guy to all these thousand. But people don't care about this. They want to make a show. Ibao Leo. Now the Gemara jumped to a completely different thing. We're still in Masechet Megillah. Are we allowed to sell an old Sefer Torah? You have an old Sefer Torah. You want to sell it and buy a new one. A new one, let's say $25,000 The old one, it's already old, 40, 50 years old. Maybe you can sell it for 15, add another 10,000 and buy a new Sefer Torah. Why do you want a new Sefer Torah? Who cares if it's old or new? It's the same Torah, no? You read the same thing. One reason is you're afraid that if you keep it another 5, 10 years, then it's going to rip. So you don't want to get to that, so you rather get rid of it, because after all, it's leather. You have to maintain it. That's one reason, could be. One other reason is maybe you're not 100% satisfied from the level of the old Sefer Torah. You want to get something more mehudar in a higher quality of writing. Writing a better Sofer, more righteous Sofer. There's different reasons. No, maybe you have a great deal on a new Sefer Torah. One Sofer is stuck with that. He couldn't sell it. And he gives you, I don't know, 20% off, but you need money, you cannot buy it, so you need to sell the old one. No, there's cases like this happen every week in the world. Every week. Are you allowed or not? The Gemara says, En mochrim sefer Torah. Amar Rabbi Yochanan mishum Rabbi Meir. In the name of Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir is one of the important Tanaim. You're not allowed to sell sefer Torah. Unless, unless, there's some exception to the rule, to learn Torah, which means, let's say your grandfather gave you inheritance, Sefer Torah, old one, worth $20,000. Now you want to go into yeshiva, a good yeshiva, and the tuition is $10,000 a year. And your father don't have, I'm sorry, go to work, I can't pay it. And you own, this is your Sefer Torah, and they're not accepting you in yeshiva. You're allowed to sell this Sefer Torah to one of the synagogue. And with the money, you use it to learn Torah, to go to that yeshiva. Why? Learning Torah is a higher level on owning Torah or writing Torah. Learning Torah, it's a higher level. You can always replace a mitzvah for a greater mitzvah. This is the rule, but not for something less. If somebody gave you, if you have a, a synagogue and a yeshiva, and somebody gave you a $1,000 donation and he told you that it's for the synagogue, you can take it and use it for the yeshiva without asking him permission. Why? Because you are giving him ten times or a thousand times more for his money. Because you cannot compare learning Torah to a synagogue. It's a much higher, bigger mitzvah. 
But if he gave you money for the yeshiva, even if later he gives you permission to use it for the synagogue, it's too late. Once he said in his mouth, this is for the yeshiva, finished. It must go to yeshiva. You cannot lower it to a lower level. You cannot. You can change from one yeshiva to another. Let's say you had in mind to give it to yeshiva A, and somebody told you that over there they're not 100% devoting their life for the Torah. They well, you know, eh, on and off, cigar, air condition, sushi for lunch. No, yeah, there are some yeshivot like this in the world. Not a lot, but some. And over there, it's all poor people who comes and only give their life for the Torah. You see, they live the moment. Rak Torah. And you say, hey, what a fool I am. Why should I give my money to this? If I could give it to this yeshiva, which is greater, then you can change your mind and give it to the other yeshiva, because after all, it's in the same category, Torah and Torah, and over here it's better. You got it? If you made a vow or you promise to give money to a person and then you found out that this rabbi or gabai is not a kosher person. It's not a kosher person. He was convicted, convicted in a kosher, in a, in a Jewish court of stealing, of cheating, of lying to people. You don't have to give him the money, but you cannot keep the money in your pocket. Whatever you promise to give, you have to see what was the cause. If you promise to give it to him to a synagogue, you have to give it to synagogue and higher. A different one, but higher, not lower. If it was yeshiva, then you have to keep it from the same category of Torah. If it was for saving souls, for making people religious, which is the highest mitzvah, even higher than Torah, believe it or not, because this is the urgent thing, in, especially in this time, when Jews are much like goyim, and it's an, it's an urgency to save them before forget it, before they get married to goyim, and that's it. Another family is gone, and another family is gone. So this is the... This is the time before Mashiach comes, as the Zohar speaks about it a lot. So, if for whatever reason you decided that that Mekarev is not productive, he speaks, he speaks, but he's not convincing so much. His techniques are not productive. You know, whatever the case may be. Then you can give it to someone who does the job better. But, uh, but it has to stay in the same category. Bottom line, we are not teaching you the law right now. I'm just talking about Gemara. Every time you have a doubt about questions like this, you want to replace, you want to change your mind, you want to give more, you want to give less, whatever the case may be, you have to go to your rabbi and to ask him and to give him a specific details about the case that he will be able to give you the right answer. Because if you promise something to holy cause and you did not give, I don't want to tell you what a mess you got yourself involved with. You don't want ever to promise something to holy cause and in the end not to fulfill your, your vow. Yeah, those lectures are 100% Torah. What are we learning? Especially this, we're learning Gemara here. This is the Talmud. No, when a rabbi teaches student or when the student uh, teach, learn it from their own Gemara, there's really no difference. As long as they hear the Torah, you hear it face to face. Very good, it's very good. Uh, there are people who also learn Torah in the internet. It's also very good. But it's not the same like you come and hear it actual. 
it's a little bit less, but it's still a very big mitzvah. It's a mitzvah of learning Torah, and that's the reason why Hashem gave us all these electronic and media devices, because He knew that people will never come to learn Torah. But when a Torah comes to their computer by pressing a button, no, so they, it's so comfortable to sit in their bed with the headphones, no. For all the lazy ones that will not drive to look for parking in a snowstorm, right? So they, they count on that. So, you know, better than nothing, that's for sure. All right, so let's continue. So, Gemara said, to, learn, to sell Sefer Torah, to learn Torah, that's one exception to the rule. To get married, you cannot get married. You don't have a penny. Nothing. You cannot make a wedding, you cannot rent a place, nothing. When you own a Sefer Torah, whether you bought it in the past, whether you got it as a gift, it doesn't matter. Right now you have a Torah, and the only way for you to get married is to sell that Sefer Torah to some shul and establish yourself a home. Why it's so important? Because you have an obligation to do a mitzvah of pruvu. You have to have kids. The longer you delay your marriage, if it's up to you, the more punishment you get. If a person has money, and has a girl that wants to get married, or they're offering him shiduchim, and he's 20, 21, 22, and he says, no, 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 I'm not interested right now to get married. I have plans, I want to expand my business, or I want to buy a nice house, I'm not going to move into a, an apartment right now, I'm not ready, like some foolish people that I know saying. Every second of their life is a sin. We are not talking about someone that is desperate to get married, and Hashem didn't decide for him to get married yet. He's trying, he's calling Shatchaniot, he's publishing himself, he goes to events to maybe find a Shidduch. What is person who really wants to get married, but does not have enough money to rent or something, but he needs to get married? Yeah, if a person, if, <laughs> that's called anus, like every mitzvah. Every mitzvah you want to do and you don't have the tools to do the mitzvah, Hashem knows that you, if it was up to you, you would do the mitzvah. Doesn't have to be only marriage, could be anything. You want to give tzedakah, they need a thousand dollars to get somebody out of jail, and you don't have it. And you're dying to give it. If you had it in a minute, you give it. But you don't have it, you don't have. Hashem knows that for you it's count like you did it, because you wanted to give it. Yeah, well, if a person doesn't have enough money to get married, and today in these days it's more, more common, this problem. So he has to find a girl that would agree to marry him without, his, without money. Nowhere in the history it says that you must make a flashy, fancy wedding. You can get married with ten people. You know, last week there was a big snowstorm. What, what, what was it? Two weeks ago, no? Remember that buses were stuck for three days in Brooklyn. Weddings got cancelled. One fancy wedding, I don't remember if it was in Muncie or in Lakewood, one of the two, that was supposed to be a very fancy wedding. And the caterer called the morning that they cannot come to the wedding. Cannot come tonight. The waiters will not come, all the goyim, the waiters, there's no waiters. Nobody can get out of his home. No cars, no buses, no train, nothing. So nobody can come. The band cannot come. So what's the point? What? Who's going to serve the food? Who's going to cook? There's no way to do the wedding. So they canceled the event. And they got married in a synagogue with 10 close friends, 10, 20, whatever it was. It was a beautiful wedding. They make a small meal. And they say the party will be in a later date. You know what? You can get married with 10, 20, 50 people, whatever you have in a nice synagogue, small place, or a small uh, 
gourmet place or a restaurant, you take the night for yourself, you make a very small wedding, you can even borrow some money, you pay it in payments, people will give you gift, you use the gift as a part, you know, to cover the cost, and you get married, and you move to a one-bedroom apartment, and Hashem helps. Many people who doesn't get married because of Parnassa, they are kofrim in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They cannot call themselves religious, these people. Religious mean I have emunah in Hashem. This is an indication that they don't have any emunah in Hashem. They don't get married, they work, and they don't have money. They, now the time came to them, they met a girl and they can get married. I can't get married, I have bills, I don't have money, I cannot pay. How am I going to get married? I don't have money for the ring, for the apartment. So when people don't have money, they can borrow money and pay it in five years. And pay it in 10 years, like everything else. People borrow for cars, people borrow for houses, mortgages, for a lot of things, for stupid things, for gambling. You might as well borrow to get married. It's an obligation. I think what more theory is that uh, the, the other parties, they find out, they, they cancel. For example, you find, you find that you, do, uh, you don't discuss this in right away, but uh, that you don't have money. But later, if they find out, uh, they will say, hey, we cannot, you know, because... I want to tell you, I want to tell you, I mean, I know it's easy to talk, I know, and it's much more difficult to do, but if I would be a single guy, and I would be broke completely, and I go on a date, and barely I can pay for the dinner there, and then I would meet the girl three, four times, whatever, and then we decide we want to get married, and she would leave me because she know I don't have money, I would be very relieved that I got saved from her. I would be very relieved. I say it's better to die single than to marry a woman that marry you for convenience or for taking care of her. If the woman wants a man that she's gonna pay her bills and feed her and this, that, don't get me wrong, that's an obligation of the husband. He has to do everything he can to do it. He cannot sit all day and watch movies in his bed while his wife is starving and don't have what to wear. This is criminal, we're not talking about you. We're talking a guy that wants to do can't find a job, three months, four months, very hard to find a job. Even if you found a job, you know, this, they, 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 they repossess the salary, he owes money, judgment, who knows? He owes his father, his father is angry, ah, who knows, there could be a million scenarios here. But if a woman wants to marry a man just because she wants a convenience lifestyle, yeah, you don't have an idea what you're getting saved from. It will never end. You basically buy yourself a a uh, 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 death, a loan. It's like now, okay, like taking a loan and pay someone else loans. <laughs> That's really what you do. Yeah, so, uh, okay. Yeah, but I know, I tell you something, I know a lot of girls that don't look for money. Give them even a basement, one room. They know your guy is a tzaddik. They, they're willing to, be, to work, to try to help as much as they can. The husband will learn Torah. There are girls like this. It's hard to find. There's not that many. Most girls want convenience, unfortunately, in this generation. But I say it's easy to talk. It's much harder to materialize it into action. But it's possible. It's possible. And uh, you know what it is? is if uh, sometimes one person told me, here, you see, I got a new car, right away I got engaged. Before I was driving this car, so I told him, well, if I would be you, I'd send the car to the date. Why did you go yourself? It was unnecessary. Send it with the driver. Let your brother, you, you, you're working, no? Isn't it a shame to lose three hours of work? You'd send your brother with the car. She'd say, are you Mr. X? No, I'm Mr. Y. 
So why you came? I'm not dating you. No, you're not dating me. You're dating the car anyway, no? Here is the car. Check it. You inspect it. You like it. Mazal tov. That's the way it should be, no? Busha vecherpa. It's really a shame. All right, anyway. So, the Gemara said, to get married, and the Gemara continued, Tanur Abanan lo imkor adam sefer Torah, af al pi sheeno tzarich lo. What happens if a person has a Sefer Torah 20 years in his closet, in a safe? He doesn't use it. He doesn't need it. The shul where he davens has nine Sefer Torah, or 90. I know shuls here in New York. They don't know what to do with their Sefer Torah. You know why? Because every week, every week, another genius donates another Sefer Torah. What's next week? Achnasat Sefer Torah. No, bow. we have 20 already. Next week, Achnasat Sefer Torah, 21. Next week, 22, 23, 40, 50, 90, 150 Sefer Torah. Each one, 60, 70 thousand dollars, because they're pouring silver and rubies, and who knows what. Two big mistakes we do in this generation, the religious people. Those who give, those who are generous. Two very big mistakes. And we will cry for it in the end. One is making too many Sifre Torah, too many. And if you take all the amounts of Sifre Torah, just in New York alone, it's enough for all the synagogues in the world. Just what we have here alone. You understand? In New York alone. And I promise you that, and I know things. So that's one thing. And then, as we speak, probably by tomorrow there will be another seven or eight Achnasat Sifre Torah in New York. Okay? Second mistake is building synagogues. Too many synagogues. Ninety percent of them barely have minyanim. There are ones very successful that have hundreds of people, yeah. But most of the synagogues that are open up, 15, 16, 17, 25, $10 million building, 25 people. Come Shabbat, 40 people. These 40 couldn't pray five here, 10 here. There were already 12 synagogues on the street. Another one? No, it's the ego. Every rabbi wants to be a king. He doesn't want to pray by another chacham. He doesn't put his ego down. I'm Mande Amar. I'm going to pray by him. I'm going to stand there like an ordinary person. No, I want to have my own uh, stage. I want to teach my way. It's all politics and ego. So another 10 million. And another thing. And you know what's going to happen in the end? What happened everywhere else? You remember what happened to all the shuls in Germany? Some of them at least became museum. Most of them are gone. They all got burned. You know what happened to all the synagogues in Russia? Most of them are empty with lacquer. Probably, who knows, if somebody ever stepped. You know, I'll take you to Palm Parkway in Bronx. You see what a synagogue. The building worth maybe $50 million. You know what a big building? 5,000 people can go in, if I remember correctly. I was there 10 years ago. One time I got a phone call. They say, we want to give you the shul, to me. One, knew, one guy knew that I have a yeshiva. He didn't know that it's in Yerushalayim. He thought it's here. We have yeshiva in Monsi. It's not my yeshiva. It's yeshiva of all the Baalei Tshuva that we bring, Baruch Hashem. But he thought my own yeshiva is here. And he say, we want to give you the building. Come do something with that. For a minute I thought I won the lottery. Especially when they described me the place. The place is 40 years vacant. It used to be a big community of Jews in Bronx. 
nobody there now. Maybe maybe ten Jews in the whole area. They're not don't even and they're all not Shomer Shabbat. So no minyanim, no nothing. The place just to renovate the place, you need half a million dollar minimum to renovate, to clean all the dust, all to paint, to fix the wind. Forget about it. But the idea is why they want to give it? Because you cannot sell it. Because this shul was built a hundred years ago. The three or four or ten people that are in the deed of the shul on the congregation, they're all dead. So now the, the city is about to take the building from them. There's a law here that if nobody claim a non-congregation, nobody, nobody does anything with that, then the government or the city taking away, taking the building away. You know, what do you need it for? You use it for, the government will do something. So they'll make a storage there. They maybe open another Home Depot over there. You understand? What happened to all the shoes in Lower East Side? Became Chinatown. Meat store, selling cats over there. What do you think? The Americans will host us forever here? There's already a huge way of anti-Semitism. Give it another five years, ten years, fifty years. Just a matter of time. They come in and they take everything. What do you think? You have to be to escape from here one day. But forget about it. Even if we had a guarantee from Hashem to be here another thousand years, why do we need so many shuls? God forbid, I'm not talking against the mitzvah of building shuls. When there's no shuls, it becomes a top priority. You need a place to come. Everyone gather together to make brit milah, to do bar mitzvah, to do shul, to do many things. When the synagogue is the center of the community. But I'm talking about in a small community that have a thousand people, there's already 20, 30 shoes. What for? You can manage with five. You don't need 30. And that's because of what I said before. So now, you have a Sefer Torah. You don't know what to do with that. You have no use for it. You want to sell it and do mitzvot with that. No? The Gemara says, Afal will not sell it. Yater al ken. Amar of Shimon ben Gamliel, it's even greater than that. Afilu en lo malechol, starving, doesn't have money for food. Umachar sefer Torah, and he sold the sefer Torah, will never enjoy the money of the sefer Torah, will not have blessing in it. Curse. I'll tell you something. I know a rabbi, I don't want to say his name on the video. You want, I'll tell you after the lecture that owns a Sefer, Sefer Torah, from 250 years ago, that belonged originally to Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev. Why I don't want to say it on the video? If I say it on the video, maybe tomorrow morning, maybe tonight already, there will be hundreds of Breslevim burning his home if they need to, to get that Sefer Torah out. Yeah. Just tell them that there is a Sefer Torah in the original writing of the Sofer that made it to Rav Naran. I had the Zchut in one Shavuot to dance with that Sefer Torah. Probably worth millions. So I asked that Rav, and I don't understand. What do you need this Sefer Torah here? It's a real burden to watch it all the time. It's not a 30,000 Sefer Torah. It's worth millions. Who knows if they sell it in a public auction, it can be 10 million dollars, it can be 30 million, I have no idea. It can be a fortunate amount of money. So I told him, why don't you sell it? You know how many things you can do with the money of it? No, but remember what I say. 
to sell Sefer Torah, to buy another Sefer Torah. He sell it, he buy another Sefer Torah with the leftover money, he can do millions of mitzvot, no? So he told me that he asked Rav Chaim Kanievsky that question, that he wanted to sell it. He told him, don't sell it. Don't sell it. Here, this is the source. Gemara in Masechet Megillah. So when are we allowed to sell it, to learn Torah, if you couldn't afford to learn Torah without it? Remember, if you learn already in yeshiva, you say, ah, I'm selling it, and with that money I'm going to use it for tuition. No. Talking somebody who wants to learn Torah and has no way to learn Torah. No way without that. Then he has permission. And, and to get married, right? Or to get another Sefer Torah. Now, now, you see, remember, I'm not teaching halachot in this year. I'm telling you what the Gemara, this is the source where the law is coming from. Well, when you read it in the law, it's not always the same 100%. Because remember, some of the things, some of the areas that the Gemara did not speak about, the Chachamim in a later generation add explanation to it. So for instance, if my memory is remembering correctly, the way to buy another Sefer Torah is only if it's greater than the other one, not lower. You don't sell a $100,000 Sefer Torah to buy a $50,000 one. You understand? That's if my memory, but I'm not teaching halachot here. So just to give you an idea, not all the answers to all the questions appear here. This is the seed. This is where everything comes from. But there's a lot more to discuss. For that, you have to go to the laws of Sefer Torah in Shulchan Aruch and teach you what it is. Now, we finish for today. That's it. So we continue next time in, the, in Masechet Megillah. We're going to speak about... Uh, about uh, rabbis and students. We're going to speak about sgulot, uh, advice to live long life, very important, and based on what the Gemara advises. us. Uh, we're going to speak about uh, the aliyot of the Sefer Torah in a synagogue, which one is higher, rolling, Agba'ah, and all these things. We're going to speak about uh, all kinds of very interesting things. Baruch Hashem. So next year, Bezrat Hashem will be very good. Please try to keep it exactly 8.30 sharp, and the lecture will finish, as you can see, at 10 o'clock. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week.